The following message was preached at Flint Hill Baptist Church. We would love for you to join us on Sundays for life groups and worship, or on Wednesdays for adult Bible study, kids, and youth activities. For more information, visit flinthill.net. And I just love it when we are we're able to gather together and to worship the Lord. And, uh, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful for worship, for worship songs, for the times that we gather, for the personal times of just worshiping the Lord. I mean, it's so, it's so critical uh, for us in our, in our walk with Jesus to, to lift high the holy name of Christ in our personal life, to worship Him. Uh, in that song, Randy, I know... You wrote that and talked about when I fall down on my knees, and I couldn't help but to remember I've, I've met with several of you in our families and in your homes, and you've shared your personal walk with the Lord and how you came to know Christ and how you came to that point where you got down on your knees before the Lord and confessed Him Lord of your life, and you turned to the Lord and trusted Him. And uh, when, I, when, I, when I was singing that song just a moment ago, I couldn't help but to rem- in my own journey how the Lord brought me to my knees in that apartment at Selma Square Apartments. I, I would submit to you, whether you literally physically got on your knees or not, uh, when you come to Jesus Christ personally as your Lord and Savior, you come humbly before the Lord. Uh, and you come before Him. Uh, so anyway, so open your Bibles, if you will, to 1 John chapter 2, verse 3-6. through 6. I'm going to share with you this morning. The Lord is just drawn. If you've been with me on Wednesday night, we've been in the book of Ephesians for some time. And now the Lord just seems to have really put on my heart the Apostle John and his work here later in his life. And we know that um, when, when the Lord uh, used him to pen these words in what we call 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and even Revelation, uh, he is now pastoring uh, in one sense, uh, uh, I think the title would be Apostle. I mean, he is over a multitude of churches in what we call Asia Minor. And what's really burdening his heart uh, is clear. And I'm going to be in this passage, uh, chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. But in this little, uh, what we call letter of 1 John, if you turn with me to chapter 5, I'm sorry, I'm messing with this headdress thing, uh, chapter 5, verse 13, we see the intent, the heart behind of what God's doing through, the, through John and, and, and the Word of God here, not just for the people there at that moment, but even for us. Uh, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, we see the whole purpose behind Uh, this letter, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Uh, I titled the message, uh, Blessed Assurance. Uh, I wanted to say, you know that you know. I thought, that's kind of corny. I'm not sure. You know, I'm not the best with titles. But I would submit to you as a Christian, as a born-again believer in Christ, those that have come under the blood of Jesus, the Lord wants you to know that you have eternal life. He wants you to walk in the assurance that you have in Christ. In fact, I would submit to you that if you are not walking in that assurance today, you are severely hindered in your walk in Christ. And as, as John the Apostle, he's looking over these churches in Asia Minor, and his heart begins to break because there's stuff from within and without the persecutions, but even within their own uh, this fellowship, there's all kind of crazy going on that's undermining the assurance that they ought to have in Christ. Uh, there was a Puritan years ago uh, by the name of Thomas Brooks, and uh, he wrote about assurance. He, and he said this statement. He said, it's the reflex act of a gracious soul. In other words, assurance is 
whereby he clearly and evidently sees himself in a gracious, blessed, and happy state. Uh, in, in other words, he goes on to say it's a sensible feeling. In other words, uh, discerning a man's state of grace. Assurance is a believer's ark. He framed it that way. He says it's like Noah. It's a Noah-like ark where in the quietness and in the stillness, in the midst of all the distractions and all the crazy and all the commotions and all the confusion, you have this assurance, this anchor, this ark that you know, that you know, that you know that I am his and he is mine. And that's what we're talking about, blessed assurance. I love, I pulled up this old hymn, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. And, and, and let me just submit to you, when you come to Christ, man, you can declare what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. The old hymn writer made it clear. He said, this is my story. He said, this is my song. Can you testify to that this morning? I know I'm talking to a lot of folks who've been in church a long time, probably longer than me. I mean, I'm 53 years old. I'm in church in a little while. Some of y'all been longer than I've been alive in church. Um, I made a statement. I said, you can come to church all you want. doesn't mean you're a Christian. I mean, I mean, I hope you hear me. I don't mean that in judgmental sense. I mean that for real. Uh, and I mean, I think John was saying this in one sense to the church. Even I mean, this is, a, you know, early, late century or late century here in the first century. In other words, he wanted the people that gathered together in Asia Minor to know that they know that they know that they've been born again. That they know Christ personally as their Lord and Savior. And, and so when, when we come to the text this morning, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, he makes it, I want to read this to us. He says, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love, agape love, is truly made complete in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. And what a, what a strong statement. Now, now, you can probably kind of begin to sense why Jesus called him sons of thunder, right? Oh, James and John. And so John, John is and he's not mixing anything at all. He's making it real clear. And let me just say to you, he lived in a day where there was so much from within. Because you remember, even last week when I shared with you, there were people from within the, within the church that began to say, "Hey, you can uh, you can act like you uh, are walking with Jesus, but you can just walk in the darkness as well." In fact, they would say it doesn't matter if you sin or don't sin, or if you believe you have sin or not matter. And and, they, and and there was that erroneous teaching going on and the seeds of what we call Gnostic theology that came to fruition in the second century. And, he, and, and John is so passionate about this, he uses that word, know, in verse 3. We know, we know, we know that we have come to know Him. He uses that word twice, gnosko. It means to know by experience. It knows personally and practically. That's exactly what he's saying. It's a, it, for him, he wanted the people that heard this in the first century to know without a doubt that you're born again. That you have Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so he makes this statement. Assurance, blessed assurance, is not just a privilege. It is the birthright of every Christian. Part of being a body of Christ is having this assurance. Um, when people experience saving faith, MacArthur says, they recognize both the truth of the gospel and the wickedness of their sinful condition. They repent of their sins and embrace Jesus Christ as Savior of the world. Their personal Savior. 
God wants us to know that we know that we know. Let me go on to say, if salvation is indeed genuine, there will be signs of the Spirit's working in a person's life, both in their attitude and their behavior. In fact, that's what he says in this statement here. He says, if you claim to know him, but you don't do what he says, you're a liar, and the truth is not in you. Strong statement. I mean, John's not mixing any words here. He's making it real clear. He wants to be clear as a bell. He don't want you leaving out of the service on that day wondering, am I a Christian or am I not? And, and you got to understand, he's coming against folks that would have uh, called into question that statement. In fact, there were some that were probably there in the congregation on that, that when I can just imagine when this letter was first read to that congregation there in Asia Minor, who would have said, it really doesn't matter what you do with your life. You don't have to really be obedient to these com commands. The fancy word is antinomianism. In other words, they didn't believe that you, could, that you had to do what the law said. In fact, some people took the law and just threw it out. Said, and they, and they, would, they would make these statements. It sounds so spiritual. Well, it's not about the law. It's about grace. And he would, he would echo that. John would say, it's about grace. There's not one of us in here going to do enough right to be right before God. It's not by following the law. In fact, the Bible says there's nobody. Nobody's going to follow the law to that perfection. In fact, the law brings about the awareness of our own falling short, our own sin in our own life. Yet at the same time, John's saying, look, no, 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 no. If you say that you know him, but you're not intent and your desire and your behavior is not in alignment with the word of God, then you're a liar and the truth is not in you. Make no mistake, he wants us to be assured of our salvation. And in one sense, I mean, he, he, he's really laying this out here in this passage, the assurance of our salvation. Listen, our salvation is by Christ alone, the work of God. We, we've already shared this. I don't need to reshare this again. But man, when we come to faith in Christ, it's not just you making some statement or walking down some aisle, but it is the work of God in our heart. It is the Spirit of God getting hold of us. As we just sang, I fall down on my knees before a holy God. It's when God gets hold of you and touches you and changes you, brings you from darkness into life. I mean, there's a change wrought when the Holy Spirit of God gets hold of you. I mean, if there's no change, I mean, Dawson McAllister said it years ago, if there's no change in our life, there's no Jesus in our life. How is it possible that God Almighty can come down, take hold of our hearts, and be no change? How is that possible? I know that's a rhetorical question. I know we're not having a conversation, but how in the world is it possible someone say, well, no, 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 I come to church, I do this, I do this, I do this, but there's no livable, verifiable change in our life. That's nonsense. John would say that's ridiculous. In fact, he would say if you say you claim to know the Lord and you have no disregard and you have a disregard for his word, he said uh, you're just a liar and the truth is not in you. That's a strong statement, but it's a statement that needs to be said, not just in the first century, but in the 21st century. Uh, there, was, there was all kind of people promoting that the law was, was yesterday. Today's about grace. It really has nothing to do about being obedient to the word. Let me remind you, Jesus said, I came not to abolish this law. Read your Bibles in Matthew chapter 5. He didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. I just say this because I know you know this. This is the Word of God. God's given us His Word. This Word is living and active. It's inspired of the Lord. I mean, Jesus used the Word. We quote this Scripture. We believe this Word is not just some history book where we read it and we gain some kind of knowledge, but it's an experiential. It's how we relate to the Lord personally and practically. God will take this Word and speak to our hearts today. 
I mean, that's what he's saying here. He said, if you, if, if, you, if you claim to know him, but you're not obedient to his word, you're a liar. There's something wrong with that formula if you're saying you're a born-again believer. Why? Because God's word is, is used by him what to teach, to train, to educate, to help us to understand. Sometimes to rebuke us, to correct us, to transform our lives to be more like Christ. And, and, it, and it's true. And John said, look, this is, this is not what God intended for us. And, and he's speaking to the church. And you see his heart is breaking. He wants the people of God to know that they know. To have this assurance. Um, so in this, we see uh, clearly the test that he puts forth. Uh, the test is this. Clearly, he says, if you know him, your life is going to reflect him. There's going to be a change. There's going to be a desire to be obedient. If you don't, if there's no obedience and no desire to be obedient to his word, if his word has no place in your heart and your life, then he would say, you know, you need to, you need to examine your heart and your life before the Lord. And I mean, he, he's really trying to get to the root uh, of evidence. And how do we know that we know that we know? There's, there ought to be verifiable evidence in our life that Christ is in me, the hope of glory, that the Spirit of God has taken occupancy in my life. If we can claim to know him and act like he's not real and act like his word doesn't matter and, and his word doesn't make, and, and we don't give our heart and soul, then something's wrong. And John is passionate about this. He wants the people to know. So he throws out the test here. And he says, if you want to know him, you, you, he said clearly in this scripture, those that know him, obey him. I mean, there's, there's no way mints and meat. Listen, I'm not, there's no place for excuses before the Lord. I had a junior college coach. <laughs> Bless his heart. I didn't learn anything about baseball. I just learned that if your heart keeps pumping, your feet keep moving. That's all I ever learned in junior college. He ran the mess out of us. And uh, he, he, had a, he had a saying that I can't really say fully, but, uh, but, uh, but he didn't like excuses. He didn't like you making excuses, even if you're throwing up on the side, puking your guts out because he's running the mess out of you. Quit making excuses. Keep going. I mean, it's just weird, you know. I'm, I don't know if you've ever met a coach like that. Hopefully you're not one of them. But, uh, uh, but I think John's wanting to take the excuse off the table. Because I think some people in the first century were saying, well, I don't want to, you know, the word, being obedient, I don't know if that's necessary. And they'll make the excuse, well, I can't really do it anyway, why I try. And all this, he's, he's trying to be really clear here. This acid test, this test, how do I know that I know that I know him personally as my Lord and Savior? Uh, can I just remind you what the prophet Jeremiah said years earlier in Jeremiah 31? He said, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the old covenant, which I made with their fathers, and the day that I took them out of, uh, out of the land of Egypt, my in which they broke that covenant, uh, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Here it is. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again, each man to his neighbor, each man to his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. The new covenant people have God's law written in our hearts. John's trying to make it real clear. New covenant. Purchased through the blood of Jesus Christ. 
if we say we love Christ, if we say that we know him personally, there's an innate, there's a born again birth inside of us to want to know his word. Not just intellectually, but in a sense of obedience. The fulfillness of that. He wants us to be obedient. Why? It, 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 listen, please hear me on this. Obedience that accompanies salvation is not legalistic. In other words, it's not legalistic obedience. I'm going to do this because everybody's going to think I'm a Christian. No, no, no. It's something that changes inside of us. God works inside of us to want to obey His Word. Why? Because it's not just some rules written by men, but man, this is God's way of communicating and communing with us. And all of a sudden, we begin to experience the Lord as we read His Word, and God draws us closer to Him, and we fall on our knees, and He changes our lives for His glory. It's a relationship that's personal and passionate. And John's reminding the readers here in the first century, listen, this Word is so critical. It's so important. Obedience to it is evidence that you really have been born again. This word uh, keeps his word or is obedient to his word. The one who obeys his word. The word can be rendered keep in, in a sense of being observant or watchful. It can also be translated as guard in, 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 the, in the sense of guarding his commands inside of us. To keep in the present sense... Literally, it means that God's people are safeguarding their hearts before the Lord and before God's people by being obedient to His Word. What I love here, because see, because there's, there's been legalistic people from the first century on. The Pharisees, bless their heart, were full of God's Word. But they, they, they memorized it, they studied it, but they didn't understand what the Word of God pointed to. And it was a relationship with God Almighty through Jesus Christ. And so they even neglected. I mean, the Word... Didn't even, they didn't even understand that it had so much more for them than they realized. Let me just help us today. God, help us today. We need to study God's Word. We need to know the Word of God. It's not just for academics. It's for personal relationship, for walking with the Lord. I love what John says here. It's just a beautiful truth. He says, if anyone obeys His Word, God's love is truly made complete in him. Friend, knowing God's Word ought to make us more loving and more kind and more generous and more like Christ. Not full of ourselves and arrogance in a sense of haughtiness or pride. I mean, good night, no. You know, and there were, again, in the first century, John's coming against some what they would call spiritual elitists. In other words, they felt like, oh, no, no, we know the truth, and here's the truth. Your earthly uh, body doesn't mean anything. Obedience to these rules doesn't mean anything. There's a higher level of understanding, and John said that is a... Bunch of hoorah, you know what I'm saying? He's, he's being clear. I hope I'm being clear this morning. Because we live in a bunch of hoorah today. There's a lot of people around us want to say all kinds of things about what it means to follow Jesus and to love Christ with all your heart. And friend, I'm here, just hear the word of the Lord this morning. If you claim you know Him, here's the deal. There's a desire birthed from above to want to know God's word. Why? Not, not for academic sense, but for personal, intimate walking with Jesus. And the, and the test of that, the fulfillment of that, is my life begins to look like Christ. Did I say you're perfect? No. There's not a perfect person in the house of the Lord this morning. There's forgiven people in Jesus' name. There are people covered under the blood of Christ, but there ought to be people that can testify this morning that God's working in me and God's working through me for His glory. 
A love for the Lord means a love for His Word. And, and, and if that's sincere, if that's true, if that's real in my life, I'm going to be more like Christ. It's real simple. The test is real clear. It's real simple. God honoring, God honoring obedience is really reflective in our love for the Lord and for one another. This is not anything new, is it not? I mean, I preached several weeks ago about the greatest commandment out of Matthew chapter 22. It's real simple. Jesus summarized all the Old Testament. He said, you know what? You only know the greatest thing you can do with your life? Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And you know what? Second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He said the fulfillment. Everything hangs on these two commands. John understood that. He said, if you love me, he says later on in John's gospel, John 14, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Over again, the Lord says, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And who loves me will be loved by my Father and will love him and will disclose myself. In other words, reveal myself. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him. And he will come to him and we'll make our home with him and abide with him and dwell with him. Good night. What a joy. The Lord also said, He who does not love me does not keep my words. Is it any different than what John said here? If you, really, if you really come to know him, you'll obey his word. And you know what? If you really obey him and his word, God's love, this amazing, agape, incredible love is made complete, fulfilled in you. Why? Because we abide in him. God is love, and he makes that so manifest. I mean, go back to Ephesians chapter 3. Paul prays for the Christians there in Ephesus that their love for Christ, that his love for them would be made complete, fulfilled in their lives, be rooted and established in this love that surpasses knowledge. Friend, it's not hard. It's real simple. But sometimes, somewhere, we get all wrapped up in all this other stuff. And there are voices from without and maybe even from within that would say, no, 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 you're loving others and loving God really has nothing to do with it. I mean, John is coming against that. And in his day, he is making it clear Crystal clear. If you claim to know him, you'll have a desire to be obedient to his word. When we're obedient to his word, it doesn't lead to haughtiness or pride or arrogance of any of that, but it leads to a genuine, genuine love relationship with God that is translated in how we love others. It's real simple. So it leads from this to the rebuke. And it is a strong rebuke. I mean, you hear this in here. I mean, you can, you can kind of sense the strongness in his word. But I, but I think, I think what, he, what he knows is what's at stake. Because look, I'm just going to be really honest with us here today. I am so grateful you're here. I hope you hear my heart. Uh, my hope is that when we leave here in just a moment, you don't leave Jesus here at the altar. He's with you if you know him personally. And wherever you go, you're meeting people that need Christ. John knew what was at stake. There's not a plan B. Friend, I hope you look, look, you look at yourself, look at your neighbor. You're plan A. There is no other way. God has anointed and empowered and equipped and filled us with his Holy Spirit. So why? So we can go outside of this room and share Christ with those that are around us. And use words if necessary. You with me? One of the greatest hindrances to the gospel is when God's people say we love him, but we live like we don't know him. That's what John's saying here. He said, look, if you say you 
know him, then you've got to live like him. In fact, he goes on to this. He goes on to the reality of what's happening here. I, I love this statement in verse 6. It's strong. Whoever claims to live in him, in Christ, must walk as Jesus did. The whole emphasis here is abiding in Christ. In other words, whoever claims to live in him, to, be, to abide in him, must live, must love, must like, must be like him, must be obedient to him, must, must demonstrate a fruitfulness of their life. The fruit of this Holy Spirit, the evidence of Christ in us, might be obvious to those that are around us. It's the reality of the Christian life. Friend, this is not some higher Christian living. This is just being a Christian. This is what it means to follow Jesus, is to be like Christ. Now, I would submit to you, I mean, in this moment, I think John's hearers in the first century would have kind of taken a moment, taken a deep swallow in their throat, and, then, and they probably in this moment would have got real quiet and real still. Because it's in this moment that God's really trying to do something in our hearts. I mean, listen, the last thing God wants us to do is get up out of here and say we love him, say we're going to live for him, but we don't. Last thing God wants us to do is get up out of here and not think about it again until Wednesday night or next Sunday. That's the last thing. That's the last thing. The last thing God wants to have happen in our life is that we have all this other stuff wreaking havoc in our world, pulling for our time and attention. And the last thing we do is we never even think about or how we're living our life before our family, our friends, our co-workers. John makes this statement, and it's like hitting the nail on the head. If you claim to live in Him, if you claim to be a born-again believer in Christ, you must walk as Jesus did. Now, I'm just going to remind you of what the Lord said in John 15. He said, Abide in me and I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Y'all understand that? Some of y'all are gardeners. You love the outdoors. You're going to see some down there at Tannehill. If you cut off that branch, you know what's going to happen. It's going to wither. It'll die because why? It lost its nutrients. It lost its source of nourishment. He makes this statement. The Lord does. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. What does that mean? It means there'll be evidence in our heart, in our life, that I really know Christ. It should not be a surprise that your coworker knows that you're a Christian. Does that make sense? John makes it real clear here that whoever claims to live in him must walk. That sounds like a strong statement, but the truth is God didn't ask you to walk by yourself. He's empowered you with everything you'll ever need for life and godliness. The Holy Spirit of God, yes, the one true living God makes his resonance in the child of God who has come through the blood of Jesus. It is by his grace and through his power that we live this life for his glory. That is God's plan, always been his plan. And John's reminding the church here in Asia Minor, as I'm reminding us today, whoever, whoever claims to live in Christ must walk, live. That's the idea, as Jesus did. Authentic abiding in the Savior, what means this, that we are firmly established and steadfast in the hope of the gospel. You know, I love, some of y'all that know me, know me well, I love devotions. I do. I love the devotional reading of God's Word, the Scripture. I love Henry Blackaby. He's one of the best that I've come across ever. Back in the 90s, I started reading some of that. But anyway, there's all kinds of devotional reading of God's Word, and I love it. I love that. But why? Why do I love that so much? Because it's, it, when we break this down, listen, I know I'm a pastor, 
but I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. First and foremost, I'm a child of God, and he's my heavenly father, and he loves me with an everlasting love, just like he loves you. And he wants us to grow in that grace and knowledge of his love. But to abide in Christ, to walk as Jesus walked. I came across a devotion this week. I just want to share some of this with you. Because in Jesus' life, he saw many people during his days of earth while he was doing ministry here. There were lots of people. And on this particular situation, there were crowds of people coming around him. And we know that he had much important work to do. And yet, all throughout the gospel, we see him stop and take time to meet with people. Even the lowdown, the unclean, the sinful, the ones that other people would walk to the other side, the outcast. He would always make time for them. What was he doing? Showing him their power and his love. Let me say it this way. He let all kinds of people interrupt him. And they leave changed because of it. In this story and here in the, in the gospel of Mark... Jesus let Jairus interrupt him from his teaching and he got to see the power of God and his daughter healed. Jesus stopped to talk to a woman who touched his cloak. You'll remember this. And she got to see his great love for her. Both were changed forever because God did not see them as distractions, but as people who needed his love and his grace. Now, I don't know about you, but this really, this really hit me upside the head right here. We so often see people as distractions. I'm not going to include you in my moment here. We often see people as distractions or interruptions. Interruptions for more important work, more pressing matters, more important things that we need to do, even ministry things that we need to do. Yet if we would listen to the Spirit's leading, He would show us that God sees those people as ones who need to be served and shown the light and the love of Christ. Here it is. What would happen if we stopped all the rushing and, like Jesus, actually took the time to talk, to listen, to serve others? Even, even when we don't feel like we have the time. Maybe, maybe God would use us in ways that we would never imagine if we would listen to his lead and let ourselves be interrupted. So here's where I'm, I'm going to kind of bring us down to this morning. John, John in, in, in sharing this message to the people in Asia Minor, he, he wanted them to be assured that you need to know that you know that you know. The blessed assurance. Friend, I, I will tell you there is nothing greater than knowing for certain that I know Christ personally as my Lord and Savior. I had a professor one time years ago. He said, can you really know? And I, went, I, I said, yes, you can. You can. Friend, when you come to Jesus, like you sang in the song, get down on your knee. When it becomes so real, so personal, that confession of sin and that, that moment when God does a work inside of you, yes, you can know it. I, listen, there's academia people that will say there's no way you can really know. Friend, I'm telling you, John was saying you can know. You can. Evidentially, subjectively know. And yes, subjectively know. Yes, we can in the Word of God. But God wants me and you to personally know. Blessed assurance. When we know that, we are set free to live for Him. You, you mean, what, what do you mean, Pastor? When we know that we know, we're set free from worry, fretting, 
I'm talking about our salvation, doubts, our future. We're set free from the petty things of life. And all of a sudden we begin to realize, you know what, the most important thing is not all this other stuff, but the most important thing is do you know that you know? And all of a sudden we become concerned about others and their walk with Christ and do they know Christ personally? And this is the plan of God. John was reminding the church there in Asia Minor and all, and even us today, look, keep the main thing the main thing. As it says in this devotion, maybe if we would just listen, just take time, maybe God would use us in ways we could never imagine. I'm going to ask you guys to come if you will. We're going to take a moment. Let's pray. Father, we just want to come before you right now. And right now, I just pray, Lord, for us. I mean, we're here. We're your people called by your name. God, I hear your word, and your word just speaks to my heart. And I confess to you, Father, there are many times where I don't see people the way you see people. And God, I confess that there have been many a times in my life, in my walk, where I am so focused on doing something, whatever it is, that I miss out on the opportunities that you bring before me to share and show the love of Christ. God, I know a lot's going on in the first century in this letter, but there's a lot going on in our lives today. And I, I pray right now, Lord, I pray, dear Jesus, across this sanctuary this morning, God, that you would so encounter us personally that, that when we talk about claiming to know you, we would really know you personally as our Lord and Savior. I, I pray that you would awaken us to your word. God, that you would awaken our hearts and our minds to your word. That as we read it, we wouldn't just read it for some book, but God, you would speak to our hearts and change us for your glory. Fill us with your love that surpasses knowledge. I pray, Father, that you would do a work in us that it would be so obvious by the life we live that we know you. God, I do pray for this moment, God, that you would have your way in this moment, this time, this what we call response and invitation. Lord, be glorified in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me this morning, church. We're going to sing a song. Friend, if you're here today and you need to make a response to the Lord, then do that. Make an altar where you are. Come to this altar. If you know, you know that God's calling you to unite with this church and you come forward, make that public. If you need to follow through believer's baptism or trust Christ personally, this is a time to be responsive to the leadership of the Lord. And I want to invite you to do that this morning.